We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. So we're not in Galatians. Matthew chapter 1. Um, I've been looking recently at my family tree. And it's been fascinating. Um, as you can probably guess, I have a lot of uh, Irish and German and uh, Scottish ancestry. But I've also got roots in the Middle East. Um, you might be surprised to know that uh, I am one-eighth Lebanese. So proud of that part of my heritage. Um, something that's true for all of us, whether you know anything about your ancestry or not, no one on the planet had the opportunity to choose their family tree, right? You just, you're just stuck with it. Uh, in fact, there's only one person in the history of the world that we as Christians believe got to make that choice, and that was Jesus. Jesus was the only human born on the earth who had the power to choose his own family. He was born into the family whom God chose. And what's interesting about that family is that it was a humble, working-class family. It's not at all what you might expect for the Savior of the world, right? And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to focus our attention for the next half hour on the working class father of Jesus, a man named Joseph. Now, of course, God was the true father of Jesus, but in God's providence, Joseph played a small role in the story. We're going to look at that role. This is Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It's the first sermon you probably ever heard in the middle of May on, on the story of the birth of Jesus. <clears throat> We're doing it again anyways. Uh, when, this mother, or when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel." which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. That's our text for this morning. So here's what we know about Joseph. The first thing is simply that Joseph was poor. 
later on when his family visits the temple, the text tells us that all that Joseph was able to afford as an offering was a pair of pigeons. That's the offering of a poor man. By trade, the Bible says that Joseph was a tecton, which is a very general term referring to someone who worked with his hands, probably with wood or stone. Of course, church tradition has labeled him as a carpenter. The Bible doesn't tell us, but early evidence suggests that he may have actually been a maker of yokes and plows, which might explain some of Jesus' parables, right? We also know that Joseph and his family lived in a, uh, and worked in a small rural town called Nazareth, and that that town apparently had sort of a poor reputation. You see where I'm going with all this? Okay. Joseph was also a man of few words. In fact, if you notice in the text, he doesn't say anything. And in all the passages that mention Joseph, he has no speaking parts in the Bible. He never says a word. When they go to the temple, the text says that Mary actually speaks for them both, which is unusual. So the Bible depicts Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, as a quiet, blue-collar guy. This is the man whom God chose to be the legal guardian of his only begotten son. Not a priest, not a scribe, not a wealthy man, not a man of power or influence. God picked a working class guardian for Jesus. Now, Joseph was also a descendant of David, that's true. The angel calls him son of David. But there was nothing royal about Joseph. Now let's look at his character. That's who he is, but let's look at what the text tells us about his character. It says, notice that Matthew calls Joseph a just man. We don't know how Joseph heard that Mary was pregnant. She may have sent word to him. It's entirely possible that he heard this through town gossip because they weren't yet living together. Okay? And Nazareth was probably a town of less than 500 people at this time. That's the kind of town where everybody knows everything about everyone, right? And so somehow Joseph finds out that his fiance is, is pregnant. And can you imagine the inner struggle that must have been going on for Joseph? At that time, he only had two lawful options. The first option is he could basically put this out into the public and subject his fiance to the shame and punishment of an adulteress. And if he did that, that option would have most protected his own reputation. But it would have hurt Mary. 
or he had the option to choose to divorce her quietly. Now, even though they weren't yet married in that culture, that's, they're practically you're married if you're betrothed, okay? And so he could choose to legally divorce her quietly, and that would potentially hurt his reputation, but mostly protect her reputation. And the scriptures call him just specifically because he's planning to choose the second option. Isn't that interesting? If you think about Jesus' ministry and you think about how often Jesus would have disputes with the Pharisees about strict observance of the law. And Jesus always interpreted the law with God's love and our love being the background of it. So much so that Jesus would let his own reputation go in order to freely associate with outcasts and pagans. And that's what Joseph is basically doing here because he doesn't yet understand how Mary became pregnant. And so the Bible says he was a just man. He sought to protect Mary when he could have rightfully judged her. He was forgetting himself for the sake of her. That's the first thing. The second thing is Joseph was a faithful man. It's not a coincidence that God chose a man named Joseph because Joseph's story actually lines up remarkably well with the Old Testament story of Joseph. Did you know that? Both men had a father named Jacob. Both men had to go to Egypt to save their families. Both men learned things from a series of four, exactly four dreams. And so Matthew is drawing the connection in telling the story that, that, that Joseph is clearly being used by God just as his Old Testament Joseph right, was as well. It was also not immediately clear. If you read the Old Testament story of Joseph, it's not clear that he's going to be faithful. He's a little bit in it for himself for a while, right? And for just a moment in Matthew 1, it's not immediately clear that Joseph is going to be faithful to Mary. In verse 20, it says, After Joseph had considered this, the angel came to him in a dream. That word considered is very weak by itself. What it means is that Joseph was deeply struggling with the reality of his situation. He's, uh, he's unhinged a little bit. Right? Life's not going the way Joseph planned it. In that moment, it feels like his own dreams for a family with Mary and a house of his own, those dreams seem to be fading away at this point. But then God comes in to, at that moment when he's confused, at that moment God comes in and gives Joseph a, a, literally a different dream. And Joseph obeys every word. 
in a period of just a few years, by God's command, Joseph drags his little family from Nazareth to Bethlehem to Egypt and back, all because God told him to do it. <clears throat> and that's basically what it means to be faithful. Now, the truth is, God's not speaking to us in dreams today. This was a very special circumstance, okay? I'm not saying God can't ever do that, but by and large, that's not how we experience um, God's command. We have His Word that tells us what He expects of us and what obedience looks like. And faithfulness means obeying God's will for us even when, especially when, our hearts may be telling us to do something else. Right? That's when obedience is difficult. It's not when we feel like doing it. It's when we don't feel like doing it. And so from an earthly perspective, Joseph had a lot of good reasons to kind of walk away from the circus of, wait a second, you're telling me that my wife is pregnant, but, ha you know, but he's a just man and he was a faithful man. He stayed, he obeyed God. The last point that I want to make is this about Joseph. Joseph was a just man and he was a faithful man but he was just a faithful man. He was just a faithful man. You see, Joseph is not the main character of this story. Just like every character in the Bible is not the main character of their own story, every single story, every single page is about who? It's about Jesus Christ. It's especially true here, right? I mean, this is literally the birth story of Jesus, and you've probably never heard a sermon about Joseph from this passage because he's kind of off to the side, right? Even in our nativity scenes, right? Joseph might not even be there. I mean, it's just... He's just a small part of the story. Jesus was not a part of Joseph's story. Joseph was a part of Jesus' story. And it may be tempting for us. I've pointed some good things out here about Joseph. We might look at the life of Joseph and honor him for his grace to Mary, honor him for his faithfulness, his obedience. But why, why these things? Why was Joseph so engaged? Why is he faithful? It's because he believed the promises of God. He looked beyond his earthly reality, his earthly identity, and he trusted in a bigger story that God was calling him to be a part of. And he was content with this small role in this big story. This is what we talked about last Sunday in Galatians, right? Jesus is the one, of course, who is perfectly just and perfectly faithful to his people. And Jesus invites us, He adopts us, God adopts us into His family through this perfect act of grace. We become part of His story. He doesn't become part of ours, right? You're not just kind of adding Jesus to your Facebook profile when you become a Christian. You become part of His story And the part that we play, every single one of us as Christians, the part that we play in God's story is 
learning how to be just and faithful like our Savior, showing others grace like He has shown to us. And here's what I want you to hear, especially graduates, please listen. That's enough. That is enough. Just be faithful with what God has given you. I told you, we're not expecting great things from you, okay? You don't need a bigger story than the story that God gives you. Now, you may, by human standards, do some great things. I'm not, I'm not discouraging you from doing whatever God has called you to do. But right now, already, no matter what your future holds, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a part of the biggest story in the universe right now where you're sitting, right where God has you today. He's not waiting on you to get it together and do something big. I want to try to illustrate this. Um, this is an older book. It's a, it's a book by a man named Bill Clem. The book's called Disciple, but he invites us to consider two scenarios, okay? In the first scenario, <clears throat> he says there are three drama students who have one year left to complete their degree at a private college, okay? Three drama students, one year left of college. And they get together during the summer and they decide, they're like, okay, how much money will this last year of school cost us? And instead of spending it on school, they decide to drop out and they're going to come up with their own little play written, directed, and starred in by these three students, okay? And they're going to start it in their garage. And everyone they tell, they, 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 they tell everybody in their, in their families, their friends, you know, teachers, everybody that they tell is skeptical, right? Because everyone says, hey, that's, that is, that's too risky, right? Uh, their professors, everyone says, this is not going to give you the meaning or produce the impact that you're hoping for. And so everyone discourages them from doing this. But then he gives another scenario. He says, there's another drama student at the same school. She also has a year left before she finishes her degree. But during the summer, she auditions for a small part in a Broadway play. And she gets a call back. And she gets another call back. And then she's offered the part. Now, it's not a lead role, but it would mean that she would have the opportunity to work on Broadway with some of the best in the business, right? Everyone she talks to encourages her to do it. Drop out of school, go to New York. What's the difference? The difference is a small role in something big is almost always better than a lead role in something small that you came up with. As, as the great group of poets, Pink Floyd, once said, do you want a walk-on part in a war or a lead role in a cage? 
And that really is a question that we all have to wrestle with. Joseph had this choice. He could have walked away. He could have started a new family. He could have followed his own heart, his own plans in that moment. But he chose to take the small part in God's big drama. Listen, guys, we're tempted to think that we can simply invite God into our little story and give Him a walk-on part in the story of me. And that's just not how it works. The story that we try to write for ourselves is always a distortion of reality. God's story is reality. He's the one who gives out the parts in that story. The question is, will we be content with the role that we're called to play? And it's not us that gives the story meaning. It's Jesus who gives the story meaning. And y'all, i got to be honest. There, I'm guilty many times of wanting more than what God has already given me. I think our culture has put this in all of our heads, right? It, we're, we're extremely self-focused, and all of us are impacted by that, that culture where we have an overly important sense of self, believing that our lives should be better than average. Average is not good enough, right? Don't be average, right? We talk about that like it's a bad thing. But I appreciate what Jared Wilson said about this. He said, you know, it's possible that God's plan for you is littleness. His plan for you may be personal failure. It's possible that when another door closes, it's not because he plans to open a window, but because he plans to have the building fall down on you. The question we must ask ourselves is this, will Christ be enough? Will Jesus be enough? In other words, do we trust God with the story that He's writing? Now, I don't do this often. I honestly, I don't like to read long sections of a book in a sermon. I'd rather just tell you to go read the book. But since I know probably you won't be able to find this book, and you, you probably won't read it, the book is called God of the Mundane. It was written by a man named Matt Redmond, not the famous Christian singer Matt Redmond, a different Matt Redmond. This is what he says. He says, There is a God for those who are not changing anything but diapers. There is a God for those who simply love their spouse and pour out unappreciated affection on their children day after day. There is a God for the mom who spends her days scraping the trampled mac and cheese off the kitchen floor. There is a God for the just and kind employers. There's a God for the man who hammers out a day's work in obscurity for his wife and kids. There's a God for generous homemakers, generous with prayers and dollars and time. There's a God for the middle class people staving off cancer, struggling to raise teenagers and simply hoping against hope they keep their jobs. 
There is a God for the broken home with a full bank account but an empty bed. There is a God for those children tending to the health of their aged parents. There is a God for the mean times and a culture drunk on the weekend's promises. He says, we may flirt with greatness, but the fact is, for the Christian and non-Christian, ordinary is the divine order of the day for the vast majority of us. Kids, bills, coupons, cable, home repair, gas in the tank, church attendance, inexpensive pleasures, discount shopping, family reunions. That's what we're made of. There is a God delighting in the ordinary existence of the unknown faithful doing unknown work. There is a God of grace for those who live out their faith everywhere but do not want to move anywhere. I'll be honest, that is a refreshing message, is it not? Especially in a day and time where it's not just the, the world that's pushing performance and greatness and success. It's the church. And we're wrong. The Apostle Paul urged the Thessalonians to live a quiet life and work with their hands. He said the same thing in Timothy. You may not see what God plans to do with your life. You know, Joseph didn't. He followed God's instructions. He provided for his family. But Joseph completely disappears from the story before Jesus started his ministry. We, we don't know for sure. We assume he died sometime before the wedding at Cana. Mary got to see the end result. She got to see her son on the cross. Joseph did not, at least not from earth. And we may not get to see what God intends to do or be doing with our lives, ordinary though they are. He's doing something. And it's always beautiful. The angel instructed Joseph to call the baby Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Something I learned from having kids I didn't realize before is that when you have kids, your focus shifts a lot from you know, your own needs as an adult to their needs, right? How much more for Joseph to know, to believe, that he's having to raise, he's having to provide for a baby that was the hope of the world. His whole life had to be reoriented towards that, right? And yet Joseph could only offer two pigeons as an offering for sin at the temple. But God allowed him to have a hand in raising the once-for-all sacrifice for sin. His only son. What a beautiful picture of the gospel, right? Because just like Joseph, none of us is really up for the task of receiving Jesus. Joseph needed Jesus to save him from his own sin just as much as we do.
and this is for all of us in this room, but it's especially for our graduates, my question for you is what will it be? Will it be his story or yours? Because the thing is, what we struggle with all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all of us want to buy the whisper of Satan, the lie of Satan, whispering in our ear, telling us, you're meant for something greater and God is holding out on you. I've even heard pastors say things like that. You're meant for something greater and God's, you know, He's got it out there for you and you just need to go get it right. No, we want God's role in the story when we're saying that. Instead of the one that He's given us, He's not going to share His glory with us. He will not give His glory to another. The question is, will we receive Jesus? Will we name Him Savior? Will we be content with the part that He has given us to play? A life of quiet submission to the Father where we will enjoy eternal life in His presence. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have done great things for us. I pray for uh, our students this morning. I pray for each of us. We have been so endeared to a culture that demands so much of us. And you have said that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so, Father, I just pray that we would trust upon the Lord Jesus. We would rest in Him and the knowledge that you're enough for us. Some of us might find ourselves this morning in places that we never thought we would be. And we've been discouraged because we don't feel like we're doing enough. We don't feel like we're good enough. And, and the truth is, none of us are. Your grace is sufficient. In many ways, we stand on Jordan's stormy banks and we're casting an eye to the promised land. We're exiles. We are immigrants. This is not our home. Help us to long for that this morning and to put everything else in perspective. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.